from it, then God addresses your life, and you know God has spoken to me. I don't know, but I come, and the hope and the prayer and the expectancy is that you will be deeply impacted by God. That song we just sung, Oh, How He Loves Me. I mean, I'm, for some people here today, I'm hoping I don't really need to say anything anymore, but you've already encountered God. Like, do you really, really know and believe deep in your heart that God loves you? Like, he, that he really loves you? You know, his son died for you. And I, I got to tell you, when, when a human being takes hold of that idea, it changes them. And I hope, I hope you've been changed by that truth, even a little bit more today than before you walked in here. And maybe it's going to be by, because of what I say, I sure hope so. But it's not necessarily me saying it, you know that. I hope you know that. It's, if you will be changed, it's not because of Chris Little, Little's words. It'll be because God's Spirit takes the words I speak, and somehow these words contain the truth of Scripture, and you go, wow, oh my goodness. And you become more like Jesus in terms of his heart and his understanding. So, expectancy. I I don't know. I come with it. I pray for it. I pray every week, God, come in on Sunday morning in power and allow your truth to change people so that we become more like Jesus as individuals and as a church. And I, um, yeah, there you go. That's why I'm here. I hope if it hasn't happened, it'll happen yet this morning. Let me pray. God, what an incredible thing it is that we can come here and gather together as your people, your covenant people, and we can meet with you right here in this place. And that you come to us and you are ready to receive our praise and our our adoration, our worship, but God, too, you're willing just to love us and to teach us and to form us and to change us, to move us forward in this journey, to bless our lives. God, I pray for every single person here, whether it's happened already or whether it is yet to happen, that that they will be deeply impacted by your truth, the truth of who you are, the truth of what you have done for them, for us, And I pray, God, that you'll change us this morning. Change us. Because we have met with you. So, Lord, as we look at this incredible book once again, as we glean the wisdom and the truth that arises from it, we pray that we'll we'll understand more deeply and more profoundly and more fully what it means to follow you and to love you as we are loved by you. So God bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for some weeks now, we've been digging into this theme of work and uh, how to bring God into the workplace. And I hope you have been blessed by it and energized by it and challenged by it. Uh, The idea basically has been, what does it mean to take God, uh, to experience God on a Monday through a Friday in the same way we experience him on a Sunday morning? How do we take God into the workplace? How does our work become ministry and mission? How does God's will get done through our work? 
And we've looked at lots of different angles on this. Today I want to take a particular angle and speak to those of you who are the boss at work, the boss man or the boss lady. People who are in positions of leadership, people who are in positions of responsibility, people who have others reporting to them in whatever fashion. Some of you, lots of you own your own business and hire employees and, and have a supervisor, uh, supervisory role for them. Others of you are caught up in various organizations which, um, in, in which you have a, a senior position and you get to, um, again, supervise and give leadership to people under your care, if you want to put it that way, in direction. Um, lots of small business owners and lots of people who are involved in various ways in our congregation. And I want to talk today what, what, what it means for you as a leader in the working world to do business, if you would, in God's way. Because if God doesn't transform every area of our life, there's just something wrong. You get that idea, right? God wants to transform and make new and redeem everything that we're involved with. He wants to see this world change. That's the overarching theme in this series, isn't it? And how our work can tr change and transform the world into what God wants it to be. Last week we talked from Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to do the same again today. Uh, where the master-slave relationship, which Paul spoke into, the Apostle Paul gave instructions. to. Last week we looked at the slaves, which we equated with the employees in our world. And he gave principles, which we can take from that time and that context and to apply to our lives today. This week I want to talk about the master and equate the master with the business owner, with the leader in business, with with the person who is responsible for others in terms of supervision and so forth. And I'm going to um, uh, read all of this, this text again, verses 5 to 9. But you'll notice in verse 9 of chapter 6, that's the primary teaching to the masters, and it gives reference to everything that comes before. So we'll read the whole text. Let's do that now. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Who are the slaves serving ultimately? Jesus. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord and not people. It's a dramatic statement. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Here comes verse 9 then. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. And I want to tell you, that's a power-packed verse. That's a verse that can transform the way you who are in business, you who are in leadership, give leadership and do business. Guaranteed. That's what I'm going to talk about today. And we're going to jump in. The, the critical thing that I want you to see, first of all, is this first sentence. Masters, employers, leaders, treat your employees in the same way. In the same way as what? What's he talking about? The, the, the message translation of this same verse says, Masters, it's the same way with you. What's the same way? Well, I want to suggest to you what Paul is saying is, in the way that I have just instructed the slaves, so in the same way, <laughs> you, in terms of how they're to function in a godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-glorifying manner, you have to act in the same fashion as an employer. As a leader, in the same way as everything that has just come before it. Um, 
in the way that Paul has written to the slaves with the instruction that he has given, with the standards that he has provided, with the requirements that he has given to the slaves, so the masters are to take that same teaching and apply it to themselves. Now, central to that teaching, if you weren't here last week, I just really pity you because it was a good one. So I think. <coughs> but anyway, central to that teaching last week for slaves is this, that when you do your work, first and foremost, don't do it for people, do it for Jesus. Don't do it for the master uh, when his eye is upon you. Do it for Christ. Do it as a result with all of your heart. Do it from your heart wholeheartedly, doing it willingly. Do it for his glory. We, we took that truth and applied it from 1 Corinthians 10. Glorify God in all you do. And you see, here masters are clearly being told, as I have instructed the slaves, Paul says, in a si similar fashion, so I'm instructing you. Same principles to be applied to your circumstance. So those of you who are bosses here today, those of you who are leaders and employ employers over other people, understand that the, 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 the first instruction given to you is really very clear. Do what you do for Christ. Now immediately, I hope some of you are going, hmm, what, what on earth does that mean? Do what I do for Christ? Well, there's some profound things that are being spoken here. Do it for his glory. Do it for his reputation. Do it wholeheartedly. Do it, do it with sincerity of heart. Do everything you do for Jesus' sake. Now, a lot of people um, might hear that, and you know, it's a bit of that mind-bending, like, whoa, what are you talking about sort of moment. My friends, we've got to ask ourselves the question, why at present do I do what I do? If you're in that role, if you're in that position, why do you do what you do? Why do you own your own business? Why are you operating that business? What is the driving impulse that makes you knock yourself out every day at work and makes you put up with the stress and the demands and the challenges that sometimes you just feel like running away from? Why do you do it? Why, why is it that maybe you manage a factory? Why, why do you take the position in an organization, a nonprofit or otherwise? Why? What's going on? Now, there are some answers that kind of flow out of the business world, and I suppose mostly that's what I'm speaking here today about. And, 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 and from the business perspective, there's usually one very simple answer. People own businesses and run businesses and participate businesses in order to make money. I mean, that's why businesses exist, to produce a profit. Now, let me say this. Money's not a bad thing, and it's really important to, to state clear that profit is important. You know, if, if, if you're in business, whether you're the owner or otherwise, it's important. It pays salaries for people so their lives are blessed, and this gives reference to what's already been said, so people can buy homes and put food on the table and enjoy life. You're blessing people. You know, the, the, the profit very often not only goes to the, the employee, but also, of course, to the employer, the person who has that senior position. Very often, profits go back into the business to continue to develop the product that the company produces in order to bless this world and make it the way God wants it to be. Profits, profits aren't bad things. But there's something incredibly radical introduced. This notion that the purpose of what you do, the driving force in your life, is not money. That the driving force in the, the heart of a Jesus follower who is in a senior position or ownership of a business is not money, it is Jesus. Christ himself. His desires, his will being played out somehow through this organization through this, uh, through this business reality. So it's not money. Sometimes people think and are motivated by the idea of power. 
You know, I want to make the decisions. I don't want to be the guy who gets told what to do all the time. I want to call the shots. I want to have the resources to do it. Sometimes it's status. You know, I go to work every day and I kill myself so I can have a ton of money, assuming your business is successful, in order, and I know not all are, but, but if it is successful, in order that I can have people look at me as I, you know, have the status symbols in my life and, and have them think, man, there's one cool dude. There's a guy who succeeded in life. I admire that person. And sometimes, if we're really honest with each other, we not only want others to look at us and be impressed with how significant and worthy and important we are, we want to look at ourselves because of our success and look how significant and worth and worthy and important we are. See, for some people, uh, you know, work becomes this thing which, which creates an identity and gives value and worth to them. It's what Timothy Keller calls the work beneath the work. It's the real reason we're working, even though we don't always acknowledge it. But I want to tell you from the Bible's perspective, whether it's money or power or status or a bunch of other things that could be mentioned, that is not on for a follower of Jesus. That is not why business is, exists and why people give their lives with, with drive and passion toward it. If you're a follower of Jesus, the work that you engage as a leader, as a business owner, exists for the sake of Christ. Period. The question then becomes, how can my business, how can my workplace um, become part of what God is doing in this world that's the theme that we've embraced in this series isn't it how, how can how can my work be God honoring how can my work allow this this world to conform to his will how can I make an input through my leadership through the organization which I'm a part of of whatever description so that this world becomes more of what God wants this world to be Um, listen, business can be done so that it partic participates in the formation of this world by God. All the way back to Genesis 1, sermon number one in the series, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It's, you know, the Bible describes how God's spirit ho hovered over the darkness. The idea that God can bring order from chaos, the idea that God began to form a world from something that was not and it wasn't long before God invited Adam, human beings, into the process, and he gave Adam work so that, he, so that Adam and then Eve with him could then start to form this world and, and partner with God, be co-laborer with God in the formation of creation. It's an incredible concept. Let me read, let me read Genesis chapter um, uh, 1, verses 2 and 3 to you again. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the verses go on, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. And all of a sudden, the world was formed, and it became what God wanted it to be. And then he says to you and me, he said, now join me in this. You go to work every day, join me in the formation of the world so that the, the, the way I want the world to be will become in reality, what is experienced here on earth. You see, my friends, when we understand work in this context, all of a sudden it's not about money anymore. Money is not that big deal anymore. It's about doing the will of God. And it's being caught up in what God is accomplishing in this world through business, through leadership, through position. And yes, the power that that brings operated in a healthy way. This is mission. This is ministry all of a sudden. God's in it to make a difference for Christ's sake. How about this idea? And this is in relationship to money. Um, 
why do, you, why do we make money? That, that, that money that flows from a, from a business when it's successful, when it works well, what, what is the impetus? What is the desire? What is the reason that we might want to do that? Can I suggest this to you? So that the people who are in possession of such resources can be generous and bless others? So that people who are, who are in a position uh, uh, of, of wealth even, you know, who have higher incomes as opposed to lower incomes because they're in positions of leadership and, 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 and so forth, that they can use those resources to build the kingdom of God. To make the world the way God wants it to be. See, it's so easy to think, you know what? I worked hard and I built the business and I succeeded and the money is rolling in, assuming it is. <laughs> and it's all for my sake. It's all about me. I want to tell you the world can think that way if it wishes, but it's not the way that a follower of Jesus thinks. God blesses some people so that some people can bless others. We are blessed to be a blessing. We just are. Jesus himself said, to whom much is given, much is expected. And that has huge relevance in life in many ways. If you are given significant gifts, <laughs> you better use those gifts for God. To whom much is given in gifting, much is expected by God. We have to operate and exercise those gifts for him. Sometimes it's intelligence. If you've been given the smarts, you better use the smarts for the glory of God. If you've been given a strong back, use the strong back for the glory of God. To whom much is given, much is expected. And when God gives some people success in business or success because of position financially, to whom much is given, much is expected. I want to tell you this, my friend. Um, Leaders are given resources in the way that they are in whatever context so that the kingdom of God could be built. I love Ephesians 4, verse 28. It's a little verse that just, I don't know, it just is more prominent in my mind than as I've thought about it this week than, than I realized. But it, it comes in the context of, of how Paul, uh, same book, same author, um, is describing how when people come to faith in Jesus, they are made new in him. And it says, take off the old. It's like a piece of clothing he's describing. Take off the old and put on the new. And, and, and after that principle is given, uh, then there is a list of behaviors which we're supposed to get rid of and embrace others. So he says, those of you who lie, don't lie anymore. Speak the truth in love. For those of you who, uh, you know, get angry and hurt people, he said, in your anger, don't sin. So get rid of the anger that's destructive. And if you're going to be angry, at least do it in a godly fashion, in a controlled and, and life-giving fashion. Because such anger is, of course, possible. And then he comes to this little verse in, in Ephesians 4.28, and he says this. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Okay, now, I recognize we're not talking to bosses and employers and business owners at this point. The people to whom Paul is writing are people who have made their living by ripping people off. Theft, right? So instead of being higher in responsibility and, and so forth in leadership capacity, uh, obviously they're, they're supposed to take a step up from ripping people off and, and, and stealing. But he says what you have to do is you must work, doing something useful with their own hands. Why? And that's the question we're engaging right now, that they may have something to share with those in need. Even people who have very limited resources are supposed to embrace work, yes, to provide for themselves, and yes, to feed their families and to care for, for themselves, but also even those, those who are, are just entering into the workforce so that they can bless others with their resources. How much more is it a reality that those who are making tons of cash because of responsibility and position ought to be doing what they do for the sake of others who are in need. 
Now, this is radical thinking. This is different thinking from the world. But my friends, this is the thinking of Scripture. That we would essentially do what we do with the resources that are provided to love God and love people. Even through our workplace and the benefits that come from it. So why does a Christian go to work? Why does a Christian own a business? Why does a Christian embrace leadership and industry and a nonprofit? They do it for Jesus, not for themselves, but for Christ first and foremost. And then we have to embrace the, or d- deal with the question not only of the why, but of the how. How do you do this? Let's put verse 9 back up of chapter 6. It says this, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. It, it, it boils down to how we treat, in our context, our employees. Not, you know, do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Do not threaten them. Uh, if, if you remember, if you were here previously, uh, slave owners in this context were allowed to beat their slaves. You know, you better do what I'm telling you to do. I know you don't want to do it, but if you don't, you're going to get a beating. And they were able to sell slaves at wish. So a husband and wife who've had children under the care of a particular master, the husband could just get sold off, breaking up a family, just because that might be financially or economically viable. And God says, no, don't don't treat them that way. A mom might get sold off never to see your children again. And Paul is saying, Treat your slaves in the same fashion. Don't threaten them. Why? Since you know that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Now think about this for a minute. What, what Paul is saying to these masters is, you know what? You have a master as well. It's like, boom. It's like, you know, if, if they really grasp the truth, what Paul is saying to them, you are a slave of God, of Christ. Just as you have a slave, so you are a slave. And as a matter of fact, you're both slaves of Jesus. So stop thinking of them as any different. God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't think any less of these people than he thinks of you. God doesn't distinguish. You know, here it's slave and free person, but in our context, is it economic class, the wealthy and the poor? You know, is it level of education, those that are highly educated and those maybe who have none? Is it ethnicity? You know, the prominent ethnic group in any given society versus those people who are a minority? You know, what God is communicating in this text is very, very clearly that God sees all people of equal value and all have dignity and worth in his eyes because they are created in his image. They have value. It takes us back to verse 5 in the same text. Which, which says, slaves, obey w- your, your masters with respect and fear. You know, we, 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 we suggested the idea with honor and with dignity. And that's, that was a radical thought, you know, not just serving because you have to or when their eye is upon you or because you're afraid of what they might do to you. Respect these people in fear. And all of a sudden, this is turned around in the same way masters are told to treat their slaves with respect. Treat a slave with respect? Yes, because they're made in the image of God. And as far as God's concerned, they're no less valuable than you. Treat them with with fear, that sense of dignity, that sense of this person is a creation of the living God and reflects his image so much so that you look at that person and stand back in awe because of who they are, rooted in their creation. 
what this brings us to, <laughs> of course, is the, the idea that uh, employers uh, treat, treat your employees well because they are made in the image of God, because they have honor and because they have dignity. Respect them. Just another way of saying what Jesus had said so often, love God and love people. Love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. Some folks here might be saying, uh, Chris, are you saying I have to love my employees? And are you saying that's what the Bible says? I'm saying absolutely. Without question. Christian, Jesus-following leaders, business owners, supervisors are to love the people who work for them. Some might say, you know, um, <laughs> but you have no idea how they act. <laughs> okay, so now the, now the people who are in the position are laughing. Because I get that. Sometimes employees don't act very well. People could say they have absolutely no loyalty. They don't work very hard. They could care less about my business. They only do it for their own sake. That's not uncommon. Let me tell you this. We don't love people because people love us in the kingdom of God. We do not love people because people love us. In other words, if you love me, I'll love you back. We love people because God loves us. And God has filled our hearts with his love. And he says, no matter who you encounter, love them for my sake, for Jesus' sake. That's why he could say, as I mentioned last week, slave to owner, uh, master, master to slave, doesn't matter. Jesus said, love your enemies and, and, and treat people well who treat you badly. Even if they persecute you, Jesus says, we should pray for them, for their benefit, for their blessing. What does it mean for us today? See how radical this stuff becomes, right? We're marching to a different drummer. We have a different ethic and a different way of understanding life. And yes, work. What does it mean? Well, first of all, never think you're better than your employee. Never. You are both equal in the eyes of God. <laughs> Value and dignity. And run the organization to be good to, to your people. Run my organization to be good to the people who work for me? Yeah. Because of who they are. Because they are loved by God. Because they are precious to him. The question becomes, how can this business that I own or this business division that I lead or this, this area of responsibility that I have been given, how, how can it operate in order to bless people? Well, I, I want to illustrate something from a conference that I went to in 2014, the Global uh, Leadership Summit, the Willow Creek Leadership Summit, which I would highly recommend to anybody in leadership, whether it's in business, the church, nonprofits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Happens every year. And in 2014, I went and I heard a man called Don Flo talk for 30 minutes, almost to the second. <laughs> um, and it was fantastic. Um, it's about a man who, who has gotten absolutely passionate to bring God into his business. Um, so I wanted to show at least some of that 30-minute clip to you this morning. I thought it would be kind of cool and different and fire that up and an excellent communicator and a thoughtful man, passionate Christ follower. So, you know, I gave this to Aaron, our worship leader. Yay, Aaron. 
And the first thing she did, which is probably her job, was look in the back and, oh, it's copywritten. We'll have to call and find out wha what the limitations are. I'm going, oh, brother. Oh, come on. So I kind of knew what was happening. So Erin, being a good worship leader and responsible person that she is, she called the Willow Creek Asso Association. Do you know what they wanted to charge us for us to show you 15 minutes of this video? $7,000. <laughs> I nearly fell off my chair when Erin told me this. And, you know, I, I mean, she found out why. It's all contractually devised. The, the content of the seminar or the teaching that was given at the conference belongs to the speaker and not to the organization, and it's all laid out and the value of it and so forth. So here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm about to save IPC 7,000 bucks by telling you what it says in the next 10 minutes, all right? Talk about good stewardship. Of course, we can't show it to you, but I'm going to tell you about it. Don Flo, this was in 2014, could be changed at this point, but Don Flo had 33 car dealerships in um, North Carolina and Virginia at that time. Could be more, I don't know. Now, one car dealership operated well will make you a wealthy person, right? It's, it's a great generator of cash. But he had 33 of them, so obviously very successful, obviously uh, the, the, the cash is flowing in his direction. At that point, he had 1,100 employees, 1,100 people worked for him in these 33 uh, dealerships. And he was eager to bring God to the workplace, as I have said. It began when he realized, listen to this, that single moms were getting the worst deal when they went to buy a car. You know how it works, right? You walk into a dealership. The dealer wants to get as much money out of your pocket he, as he or she possibly can, right? That's their job, <laughs> you know, in the bargain. And, of course, when we go into a car dealership, our intention is to give the dealer as little money as we possibly can, and that's the negotiation. And what Don Flo somehow recognized, probably through surveys that were done and so forth, he recognized that, you know, these single moms were getting the, the worst deal. They were paying more for the, car, the cars than anybody else. And he realized this is not just. This is not fair. This is not right he cared about God and God's perspective on these things. He said, this isn't right. This isn't just. God loves justice. We're going to do something about this. We're going to bring our faith into the workplace. You know what he did? He created um, a flat rate for every vehicle he sold. So no more bargaining. We're not going to rip off one group and, and let another group benefit here. Just a flat rate for everyone. A fair price for the dealership. They had to make a profit. That's what they were in business for and a fair price for the customer, they were going to be blessed. And he went on from that point to develop what he describes uh, as a God-honoring culture in his business. And he had three components to this culture. First, he had three covenants, he describes it, uh, which I love, by the way, excuse me, for three groups of people. First of all, a covenant with customers. As I've described, fair price it was the intention of the business, not to rip people off, but to give them a fair price. Secondly, to give them a good product, obviously. To bless the people with what they, they buy. The third thing was that he was committed um, to telling the truth always in his business. Now, if you're thinking about it, you're going, whoa, 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 whoa. Car dealer telling the truth always? I don't want to be demeaning to any particular group of people, but this might be one of those areas where the truth is not always a priority, shall we say? But Don Flo said, no, 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 we're going to honor Jesus here. We're going to be absolutely truth-telling people. We are not going to lie to our customers ever. 
We're going to tell them the truth. He went on, and this is all written down. It's policy that has been developed in the, culture, uh, the formation of culture in this business. Um, next one was going to do the right thing for the, the customer regardless of cost. And all of a sudden, we're taking a, a step off the deep end, right? No, we're not. Not if we follow Jesus. We're going to do the right thing regardless of what it costs because that's the priority, not the money. We're going to do the right thing for the people that, that, that buy our products. We're going to care for them. Um, always honor what we say. If we say something, we do it. Case closed. And all this, of course, limiting profit in order to do these things. The f- a covenant with our customers. Secondly, a covenant with one another within the business. Listen to these things that he created. He created a personally em- personal emergency fund for employees so that when crisis or tragedy struck in their lives, there was a well, a deep well of money that was available to them to help them out because money would be given to them. Think about the United States. I'm not quite sure now because of Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, et cetera, whether it's as bad as it once was, but if an, a, a medical emergency stru- struck then, maybe still today, it can ruin people financially. And Don Flo said, this business is going to stand by our people and we are going to help them through the crisis. We're going to have a pool of money ri- available to give to them when real need settles upon their lives. Second thing that he formed was a $3,000 grant per child per year for the children of their employees who were headed off to uh, university or college. $3,000 per child per year, every year, for the children of the employees that work in those 33 dealerships. I talked to a gentleman in Florida some years ago, not that long ago, whose son had written a check for this man's grandson to go to a university for $52,000 one year. Like, it's different there. <laughs> and, 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 and you see, this man wanted these families blessed. He wanted these parents to be able to send their kids to university or college. And he said, let's take some of the profits of this business and invest it so that we can bless the lives of these young people, bless the lives of these families. Next element was he wanted to celebrate the lives of the, of, of the people who worked for him. Celebrate their successes. Celebrate their personal days. Make it, make it a, 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 a scenario, a circumstance in which people are blessed uh, for who they are. And then uh, lastly in this area, commitment to the workplace to enhance their, the employees' lives, not to diminish their lives, not to make their lives miserable, <laughs> but to enhance their lives. Can you imagine working in such a place? Anybody want to work in such a place? Where the boss, the owner is willing to bless your lives, to be good to you, to love you by treating you well. Again, remember, 47% previously quoted, 47% of Canadians dislike their work. And the assumption that I take from that is that they'd walk away from it if they could because it's not enhancing their lives, it's diminishing their lives. And all of this, again, profit not being the primary focus. The third covenant is a covenant with community. And Don Flo um, committed in his business to invest in the truth, beauty, justice, and plenty of the communities in which their dealerships existed. Let me say that again, to invest in the truth, beauty, justice, and plenty of the communities in which those dealerships existed. And I suppose still do. Each of those 33 dealerships have ongoing projects every single month in order to bless the community. Habitat for Humanity Build, Food Drive, um, each dealership gives a Christmas, I assume by that, 
a meal and gifts for children to 50 families. Each dealership does that for 50 families every year. 1,650 families who couldn't provide a Christmas for their children are able to do so because the dealerships just created it for them. He just gave it to them to bless their lives. You know, what would that cost? And the last thing is when employees of these dealerships vol volunteer for a nonprofit organization on work hours, they get paid their wage. In other words, you can go and help the Cancer Society. You can go and help Alzheimer's Society. You can go and help whatever. And if it's on your work hours, you need to do that because you're blessing the community. We're going to pay you your wage even though you're not here. Do you, do you begin to hear the heart of this man? And the desire that this man had not only to bless his customers, not only to bless em his employees, but to transform the world, to change it to become what God desires it to become. To form the world out of the resources of his business. You see this, my friends, this is a business that is existing for Jesus' sake. This is a business that operates according to his will and his way, you know, that honors Christ above all else. What in the end I want to suggest to you, like if, if you take nothing home, take this home, that what Don Flo did and is doing and what we can do in our realms of influence, business owner and supervisor and, you know, whatever it might be, we can bring the values of God's kingdom into the workplace. What values? Well, I'm going to just describe some that flow out of everything that I've described to you. First of all, the, di the dignity of all people. The dignity of all people. Secondly, the reality of the love of the boss doesn't mean I have to feel all gushy and warm about them. You just have to treat them really well because they're made in the image of God and they are precious in his sight, just as precious as you are. They're just as important as you are. You got to treat them well, says Christ. How about, as I've described, honesty and integrity? That's how Jesus' followers do business. When they say something, they honor their word and they don't lie. And they don't manipulate. They have honesty and integrity. How about the value of justice? We're going to treat people fairly. It's not about the almighty dollar. It's about treating people fairly and well. What about compassion? What about generosity? Mm, caring for people who are struggling and hurting and in need. And being generous out of the abundance that God potentially has provided for his people. And then this one, a passion, very simply, to form the world in the way God wants it formed. Do you get it? You understand this? See, my friends, this is bringing God into the workplace. We don't have to be ashamed, especially where it's possible in our own businesses and so forth, to name the name of Jesus and to honor him. But we can do this regardless, even when we're not allowed to talk about Jesus. And in the end, we do all that we do for Christ for the glory of God, for the sake of Jesus. I want to wind up with some quotes directly from Don Flo. You can tell I like the guy, huh? He's got a great story. But he said this, all we do, and I quote, flows, no joke intended, but flows from Jesus' admonition of brotherly love and to seek the good of others before we seek our own. Here's a guy who... <laughs> you know, works incredibly hard and is passionate about his business, but he doesn't do it for himself. He does it for the good of the neighbor that we are called to love. Like, wow. Who does that, who does that make you think of? You know? How about this one? This puts us in, 
puts us, uh, points us to the potential of the redemptive power of business as expressed in the commitment to the flourishing of all those it serves. There's a powerful line in there. This points us to the potential of the redemptive power of business. If you are in business, if you own a business, if you work in those, those circumstances where you have authority, responsibility, influence, there's the potential that what you do has redemptive power. It allows you to participate what, what God is doing in redeeming the whole world. Can you imagine if every business was run like Don Flo's business? That the, the way the, that the lives of people would be blessed, that the community would be blessed? It would be remarkable and beautiful. And then a last quote. This leads us to, and I, and I quote this, the reweaving of the broken fabric of the world. I love that. <laughs> See, the fabric of the world has been broken by sin. It, there's been a tear brought into that fabric. And it's not functioning the way God wants it to function. But when we tap into this redemptive power and the potential that is there, all of a sudden we're reweaving the broken fabric of the world that the world might become what God wants it to become. And Christ is honored in the way we lead, in the way we operate our businesses, in the way we serve people according to the kingdom values that we bring in to our work world. You know what I've tried to give you in these weeks is a new vision for your work. And I don't know whether you're a leader in business, uh, you know, a boss, or whether you're an employee. Um, but, you know, when we take the truth of Scripture and we put on those, those biblical lenses and we start to look at the various areas of our lives, including our work life, all of a sudden everything changes. And we don't do it the way the world does it because something has happened in us. God has come into us and he's filled our hearts with love and a passion for justice and with generosity. And, 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 and compassion and, and, and a commitment to honesty and integrity and to loving our neighbors and even those people who don't treat us well. And, and I began this series by saying, how do, you, how do you meet God, not just on a Sunday morning, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? How do you bring God into the workplace? How do you make this ministry? How do we make it a spiritual function? Well, I hope you know now, at least in greater measure, measure than you might have before. So I say to those of you who are in leadership positions, particularly today, go and tap into that potential by running your business, giving oversight in the, those areas of responsibility that God has charged you with, doing it in a way that honors him for the glory of Christ. Transform your world by bringing the kingdom of the, bringing the values of the kingdom into your work real world. Do it God's way. Do it out of love. Do it out of a passion to honor Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, you call us to be a different people, a unique people, <laughs> a people, God, who um, is just committed to honoring you first, to valuing you and your will and your desire and, 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 and your heart. And God, I pray for First of all, for the, the leaders, the bosses, the owners of businesses, the people in supervisory responsibility, I just pray that you'll give them the understanding and then the courage to transform their work culture into one that honors you. And one will bring glory to you because simply these people are, 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 are causing their businesses to function in a way that just pleases Jesus. God, for all of us here, help us to see work through a new set of of lenses. Help us to rethink work. Help us have a new vision for work. Understanding, God, we don't serve people.
We're not even serving ourselves when we go to work. We're serving you. And God, we pray that this church might tap into the potential, which is huge, to transform the workplace um, for the sake of Christ. God, you call us to Sunday mornings and to worship, but you call us to worship you every day that we go to work. We call, you call us to live for you and to have your heart and your mind every day when we go to work. And I pray that you will enable these people, Lord, to tap into that potential, that redemptive power that is theirs simply by being like you. God, bless these folks. Enable them. Help them to understand. and Help them to enact these principles, God, so that truly the kingdom of God might come Bless us, Father, as we seek to bless you, even in our work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you all to stand as we continue to worship. And this uh, next song that we're going to be singing, it talks about the peace and the love that God has brought into this world. And I think it's incredible that as we go out into our weeks, into our family, family groups and friend groups and workplace. And it's incredible that we get to be his hands and feet to our world, that we get to partner with God to bring more of his kingdom, more of his love and his joy and his peace into, into our whole lives and to be able to bless others with that.